Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family by using real estate as your vehicle. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. On the show with us today, David Tupin. David, pleasure having you on the show. How's it going? It's going great, guys. Thanks for having me. Great. Thanks for being on. Before we get into the interview, here's a little bit about David. David is the owner of Obsidian Capital, which is a real estate investment firm based in Southeast Michigan. His company currently has ownership and oversees a portfolio of nearly $20 million in multifamily and commercial assets. So super impressive stuff. With that being said, David, could you please tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Yeah. So thanks again, guys, for having me on here. Um, I guess a little bit of background. I started investing in real estate a couple of years ago uh, in college, actually. And, um, you know, started in single family real estate, like a lot of people is listening to podcasts, reading books. And uh, I was always thinking really big. Um, and I think maybe it was just a little bit of uh, ignorance, maybe being naive, uh, you know, not, not afraid of taking risks because I haven't, hadn't done it before. Uh, so I always, I always shot really big and, and I wanted to get into multifamily. Uh, so I started off, I syndicated my first uh, multifamily apartment complex that was 12 units. And I did that in early 2017, um, actually bought two 12 units pretty much at the same time. Uh, after that, I, I went on and bought a syndicated 100 unit property. And, and right now, yesterday and today, I just closed on another 160 units. So uh, now our, our focus is, is syndicating multifamily apartment communities. Uh, we raise capital from high net worth investors, uh, family offices, private equity firms, all, all that good stuff. So uh, really just focused on growing and building the multifamily portfolio. Awesome. Congrats on the closings. Thank you. Yeah. So you mentioned that your model is multifamily syndication. Can you talk a little bit about what that model looks like so our listeners kind of get a better sense? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So this isn't a, a multifamily specific podcast, is it? This is kind of general, all types uh, of real estate. We are going to focus on multifamily here, but uh, we do talk about different asset classes. Gotcha, gotcha. I guess, so for anyone who doesn't know, um, a syndication is basically a way uh, to go and buy big properties without using your own capital or without using all of your own capital. So what we do is we'll go out and we vet lots and lots of properties. We'll look at, you know, tons of um, family uh, apartment communities in our markets and we'll run the numbers on them. When we find a deal that makes sense, we'll put in an offer. Uh, if that offer gets accepted, we then determine how much capital do we need to close on this deal. So let's say, for example, the deal I just closed on, we needed about $3.3 million in equity uh, to close and purchase this property. So uh, what we do is we go out and we raise that capital. Uh, it could be from a variety of sources. We can go to you know 33 people that have $100,000 each, or we can go to, in this case, I uh, used a, a group called Realty Mogul. It's a crowdfunding platform. And what they did was they put up 90% of the equity, about 2.7 million, 2.8 million. 
uh, my partner and I put up the other 10% of the equity, and then we close on the transaction. Um, my partner and I are the sole managers of the asset, so we have all decision-making. Um, we hire a third-party property management company, and we basically just oversee them, uh, make sure they're following our plan, uh, renovating the units, hitting the rent bumps we need. We, we oversee the construction as well. Uh, uh, but basically, we're raising capital to buy larger and larger properties, and for that, uh, we get a piece of equity in the deal, almost like I'd say sweat equity, right? So um, in this instance, we did a uh, it's an 80-20 structure. So investors put up all the money, uh, which we put a little bit of that as well, uh, for 80% of the equity. And then just for putting the deal together and overseeing it, we get a 20% stake in the deal for doing that. So that's kind of the, the gist of a syndication, um, raising capital, and then we get a, a piece of equity for putting the deal together. Yeah, I know that was very well explained. So thanks for doing that. Sure. So what is it about the syndication model that drove you to pursue and build your company around it? Well, when I started, I didn't have any money. Uh, so I guess that's, that's the key, right? So, um, you know, if I, if I wanted to go and buy uh, larger and larger properties, I needed to use what we call OPM, other people's money. And I say that in a good way, right? Because what we're doing is we're providing an, an avenue for investors uh, to, to place some of their capital into alternative investments, like really, instead of putting it into something more traditional like the stock market, uh, their 401k IRAs, so um, which actually people can use their 401ks and IRAs, a lot of people don't know, to invest in a syndication as well. So uh, it's just a way for people to diversify, earn a stronger return. We typically pay a minimum 8% return, um, and then we target an overall, uh, on average, about a 15% internal rate of return. Um, over the course of the investment. So, okay. And so I think you are focused on about six or seven markets. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Mainly Texas right now. Um, a couple major cities in Texas um, focused on Atlanta, focused on Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I own a property here in Michigan, which I actually live in. Um, and uh, I'm looking in Columbus and Indianapolis a little bit. So, Awesome. So can you tell us how you go about selecting those markets? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the main drivers are, uh, you know, when I'm in the market, I want to see strong economic growth. Uh, so something like Michigan, for example, I know there's a lot of great properties I could buy. Um, I'm not really targeting here much anymore uh, because if you, if you look at a lot of statistics, it's not as strong, um, you know, economic growth wise as, as a lot of other markets. So um, you know, let's say Dallas, Fort Worth, for example, or, or Houston, what we're looking in, there's a lot of uh, population growth. Um, there's a lot of jobs coming to the area. Job growth is, is one of the main drivers for it. Um, and then we look for, you know, in, inside of each of those markets, we want to look for uh, the good neighborhoods to buy and what's kind of an up and coming area. Uh, we don't want to invest in D areas or more, I guess, a little more ghetto areas, for lack of a better term. Um, we really want to invest in, in you know, C plus, B areas, uh, A minus type neighborhoods. Okay, perfect. And so how important is it for a syndicator have, to have boots on the ground and a team in each market that they invest in and why? Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the most important things. So, I mean, you can look at, you can look at a deal all you want or property all you want on Google Maps or, you know, photos of it, uh, but you really never know in, in, you know, unless you have somebody's opinion that's in that area um, or, or, you know, knows that property or has looked at it. So 
what I do is typically when I find a property um, that we're looking at, I'll ask our property management company in that area to do a drive-by and let me know what they think. So if they come back and they say, hey, look, we ran some stats on this area. There's high crime. We drove by. We can kind of tell the property's beat up. The surrounding area's not that nice. Um, we'll typically skip on the deal. So I, I, I've gone in and put offers in on deals when I was first starting, uh, for example, a property in Columbus. And, um, you know, looked, everything looked great on the surface. It was 350 units. The price seemed right. Uh, I went down there um, and I drove it myself. And I just that this particular in the market, kind of a war zone. And I could not tell that from, uh, you know, Google Maps or a street view. So you really don't know until you go down there and check it out. Um, and then what I also did was I was eating at like a local, it's like Coney Island or something like that. And I asked the manager, I said, hey, what do you think about this area? Is it, is it kind of, you know, up and coming? Is there anything happening here? Is it decent? He's like, man, that area is going nowhere but down. The mall down the street is closing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The mall down the street is closing. Uh, you know, Sears, Macy's there, JCPenney's are all out of business now. Um, it's just gotten worse and worse. So uh, it, it is really important, in my opinion, when you're, when you're looking to have boots on ground. Yeah, I mean, real estate's so local, right, to where even if there's a submarket that is thriving, there's still neighborhoods within that submarket that you still do not want to buy in. And it could be just like you're saying, like, if you're not driving those streets or have someone to drive them for you, you have no idea what's going on on that street particularly. Totally. So, 100%. Okay, so how do you go about building your teams, making sure they're the right fit for you and your company? And then who are those key team members that um, you have to get these deals done? Sure. So um, I guess I could separate that into two separate categories, um, internal and external. So I guess to start with the external team, I've got uh, people like our, our attorneys or the law firm that handles our contracts, uh, PPMs, operating agreements. For anyone who doesn't know, those are the, the documents that are needed for uh, putting it together a syndication. Um, so we have PPM operating agreement. Uh, they'll you know draft any addendums to contracts. They will pretty much review any legal work that we need to to have done. You've got your title company. Um, let's see what else do we have? We've got contractors, um, construction firms uh, or GCs that will handle our construction work. Uh, you know when time comes and we buy a property. Uh, a lot of those oh lenders lenders is another one uh, and brokers. So. Um, we have loan brokers and we have property brokers. Loan brokers, you source loan or quotes for a loan for a property when the time comes and you're looking to get a quote. And then uh, property brokers are the ones that are digging in. They know the property owners. They have the listings for, for sale properties. Uh, I have a lot of brokers that send me off-market deals or they'll only tell you know me and a couple other groups about deals when they come available. Um, so I think that that's kind of the gist of my external team. Um, internally, uh, I've really started to grow a lot lately. So the primary, um, the primary team members for me are uh, sponsors. It's something we, we call sponsors in the business. And um, when we're buying properties that are, you know, three, four, five, eight, ten million, fifteen million dollar properties, uh, that's not something that I can go and guarantee a loan on myself. Um, typically, what a bank wants to see when you're uh, uh, getting a whether it's a uh, agency loan like a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loan, or you're going to get a bridge loan like I just did recently on this closing, um, they want to see that you have uh, a minimum net worth of the loan amount 
and liquidity of about 10% of the loan amount. So for something like that, that's something that I do not have and something that I need to partner up with uh, somebody else that has that so I can get a deal across the finish line. So for me, it was really important over the past year to find some really strong sponsors. And um, one of my core partners right now, uh, his name is Glenn Gonzalez uh, out of Austin, Texas. And he owns about 4,500 units across Texas. Um, so he, he's, he's become one of my primary sponsors. Another one is Nepali Capital. Uh, they're also out of Texas as well. And, uh, you know, these, these two groups that I work with, um, you know, I have very, very good relationships with them. And they'll sponsor pretty much any loan and partner with me on any deal I bring across the table. Um, and we're able to, you know, take down loans uh, collectively up to, you know, 20 plus million. So um, I think that's, that's really key if you're someone like in my position or a lot of our positions who, who can't do that on their own. Um, you definitely need that type of person on your team. Um, next for me uh, on my team right now is an underwriter. So I love analyzing deals. I'm actually analytical. Uh, I built out some, some pretty uh, comprehensive spreadsheet models for analyzing multifamily properties. But as I've grown, my time has become stretched and the amount of deals that we receive has, has just grown and grown. So uh, I brought on an underwriter. Uh, so he's, he's my director of acquisitions, Jason. And what he does is he receives all deal flow that comes into my company. He will uh, pre-underwrite them, you know, he'll screen them, make sure it's a decent deal at first, make sure it fits our criteria. Uh, he'll throw it through our uh, underwriting model and then he'll send it my way for kind of final review. And then we'll, we'll either ask some questions back and forth with the broker or we'll go ahead and make an offer at that point. So that's, that's one member of my team. Um, another that I brought on recently was a, or is a uh, um, kind of like director of operations. And he is now handling getting all my investors into a CRM that we're, we're starting to integrate into our company. Um, kind of like an online portal where investors can see offerings, they can see their investments, what their returns are like, like almost like how you'd sign into, you know, your LLP account. So he oversees that investor relations and then, um, all the marketing. So when we get a deal under contract, we put together offering memorandums, that kind of stuff. Uh, so he, he deals with a lot of that and that's, that's majority of what my team is. And then I have a couple people, um, that are doing acquisitions uh, in, a, in a few different key markets, I have them prospecting and cold calling for off-market deals. So, awesome. Kind of so your exterior, or your, um, yeah, exterior team, how did you go about building each of those in each of the markets? Because you're in six different markets all out of state basically, right? Or, or five of them. So what was your process of finding the right people in out of state markets? Sorry. Sure. No, no, good question. Yeah, referrals. Um, I guess for, for stuff like attorneys, uh, brokers and whatnot, uh, referrals was the best. If you get a, if you get a good referral, um, you know, that's, that's typically the best way to find a property manager in my opinion, um, because you can hear from somebody's experience, how they've, you know, dealt with them before their experience working with, let's say a property manager or, uh, some, you know, a law firm, um, getting a referral there is also, uh, probably the best way I would, I would ask around. Um, you could also look online. It's pretty easy to find property management companies, uh, law firms for, for real estate, um, et cetera. Okay. Have you been through the process of having to change out a property management company or some of your boots on the ground because you just haven't worked out? Um, no. So I'm, this is my first time on this property in Houston that I just bought uh, using a third-party management company. Everything else that I bought has been in Michigan. 
uh, so far and I've self-managed it all. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So why did you choose to invest out of state? And you touched on it briefly about the, the demographics and the market in Detroit, but are there other key factors that you look at and reasoning why you invest out of state instead of in your own backyard? Yeah, well, I think it's important for a lot of people uh, to start in their backyard. I think that's the best way to do it. Um, that's kind of how I got started two years ago. Uh, and, and I started to grow more and grow more. I realized that there's just not simply enough deal flow where I'm at uh, to be able to accommodate, you know, the, the growth that I want to see. Um, and, and on top of that, like I mentioned, uh, I, I really wanted to grow in, uh, into some, some strong growth markets that I could see uh, getting better and better over the long term. Um, and so that's why, you know, I'm going after some places like Austin, Dallas, Fort Worth, Atlanta. These are just Charlotte, North Carolina. These markets are growing like crazy and they're, and they're just really good places to get in in the long term, in my opinion. Okay, great. And so you talked a little bit about what you look for in a specific market, rank growth, job growth, job diversity. What do you look for in a specific property when you do make an offering? Yeah, that's a great question. So I look at a lot of things and I think the more and more you look at properties, uh, the, the easier and quicker this will be for you to determine. Um, the first thing I look for uh, is size. So right now I'm targeting anything uh, that's 100 plus units in these markets that I'm looking at. Um, I'm looking for properties built at least 1970 and newer. Normally I like something in the 80s right now with, with what I'm targeting. Uh, and the reason being that when you're looking at properties older than the 70s, there's frequently construction deficiencies that I don't like to deal with, such as old cast iron plumbing or clay plumbing. If you're in a state like Texas, uh, it's, it's, it's not something that I want to deal with. You might have old electrical panels that need to be changed out called stab lock boxes. Those are sometimes pretty common in really old properties, and, and, and they're actually a requirement from the lender most of the times to change out. And those are pretty expensive. They can be like 800,000 per unit. So yeah, stuff like that, flat roofs. I really don't like flat roofs. They're expensive to maintain. You have to replace them more frequently than a pitched roof and they don't look as good as well. So, um, you know, these are things I look at because you want to go into every property with an exit strategy. And if you don't have a good exit strategy, you're going to you're going to wind up not hitting your numbers that you're putting together. So if I'm, if I'm going in and buying a property right now that's built in 1968, that's got a flat roof, that's got old cast iron plumbing, and my plan is to fix it up and sell it in five years. Well, in five years, it's now going to seem even older. 60s product already seems old. It's going to seem even older now. Um, somebody's going to look at it and say, oh, it's got a flat roof. I'm not too interested. Uh, it's got old cast iron plumbing, which is just you know, corroded and falling apart and I'm going to have to change that out. So to me, I'm thinking about exit strategies. So I want to pick nice, clean properties that I can add value to and improve uh, and, and have a really clear exit strategy so that my investors are very protected. Okay. Makes sense. And so what are some of the things when you look at add value or when you say add value, what, where do you add value? Sure. And, and I guess to back up a little bit, the reasoning behind adding value for us is we will create data spread between what we're in the property for, what we're putting into it, and what we're going to sell it for. That's how we get 
um, you know, a large, uh, a large amount of profits for us and for our investors uh, is by is by improving the value. Just like when you flip a house, you want to buy it for 150, put 30 into it and sell it for 225, right? You want to create that, that profit spread. So I don't only flip apartments, I do have some that I hold long term. Uh, but either way, it's important that you go in and you try and add as much value as you can to improve the property. Um, because the value of commercial property uh, and multifamily property is determined by the, the net operating income um, and the cap rate, which you, would you like me to explain those as well? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, so net operating income is, is basically just the, the total income the property brings in uh, less your operating expenses. Um, and that doesn't include your mortgage. Uh, it, it mainly just includes, you know, taxes, insurance, maintenance, uh, management fees, all that kind of stuff. So if, if I, and the cap rate, um, on the other side of the equation rate is really determined by the market. Uh, and a cap rate equation is just your net operating income divided by your purchase price. So um, let's say that I'm in Dallas, Fort Worth, and the cap rate is six and a half percent. 6.5%. And my NOI is, uh, let's say it's like 100,000, for example. My goal is to increase the income, decrease the expenses a little bit, uh, get that NOI up to 125 or 150,000 and sell it at a 6.5% cap rate. So 100,000 divided by 6.5% equals, you know, I don't have the calculation, but uh, basically that's how the, the value of the property is determined. I was so, going to be impressed if you were going to be able to do that in your head. Yeah, no, I'm not, not going not to try that one right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's essentially how it works. And so our goal is to go in and improve the value, uh, you know, increase the net operating income and sell it for uh, more than what we bought it for. Okay, perfect. Switching yeah. gears a little bit. So there's a lot of uh, individuals out there that are getting into the multifamily syndication game and they do it part-time and you can definitely do it part-time. But what are your thoughts on going with, from a passive investor standpoint, going with a full-time sponsor versus someone that does it part-time at the end of the day? Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to rag on any part-time sponsors, but this is, you know, this is a complex business and you can absolutely do it part-time and some people really make it work. Um, you want to invest in a company that is, is going to be around for the long-term and growing um, I think that's easiest if you're investing in a company that has uh, that has a team behind it. That's you know it's an actual organization, um, and that you know you know that there's not just one person but multiple people. Uh, I guess they're taking care of um, you know and overseeing the business. So uh, you know there's nothing there's absolutely nothing wrong in investing with somebody that's doing it part time. They're you know if they find a good deal and the numbers make sense and you can trust in them as an operator and they have a good third party management company. Uh, I don't. I don't see any issue with it. Just know your numbers. The deal makes sense. Uh, do your research and uh, make sure that you can trust this person. So, Awesome. Perfect. So I think yeah. Lolita now is going to take us into our final four questions. All cool. right, David, let's go ahead and jump right into our final four questions. Uh, what is the one tool in real estate investing that you could not do without? And I think I may know the answer to this. <laughs> yeah, this is my, <laughs> my spreadsheets. <laughs> was, that, was that your guess? It was your calculator. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so, you know, when, when we're looking at multifamily properties here, it's, it's much too difficult to just do a calculation in your head or write it down on a napkin. And, and figure out exactly what you should be buying the property for, in my opinion. Um, 
when you're going to a lender or you're going to investors uh, and you're trying to, or an equity partner, right? Uh, and you're trying to sell them on, on your plan for the deal. You want to show them that you know what you're talking about. So if you, you have a comprehensive uh, a finan- financial model that you can run your numbers through and, and it shows you know, what your anticipated cash, cash flows are, what your renovation budget is, what your increase in value is, what your rents are now versus what they could be uh, for normal versus renovated units, what your operating expenses are, what they could be. Um, that's how you're going to get a deal done. And, and not only for other people's edification, but for your own uh, peace of mind, you want to know uh, the numbers really well so that, that you can feel comfortable that you're putting a good deal together for your investors and you're, you know, you're properly, uh, you know, you're being a good fiduciary because you really are, um, you know, taking a lot of, a lot of other people's money in and it's your job to make sure that you're putting it into a good, a good product. Mm-hmm. Completely so it's, agree. It's going to be the deal analyzer for me. Yeah. Great. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake in real estate investing so far? And what is the biggest takeaway for our listeners? Yeah. Biggest mistake. Um, I've had a couple, I, I would say, you know, I'm a believer that everything happens for a reason. So every mistake that I've made has, has absolutely been uh, for the better because I've learned a lot from them. Um, and, and none of, none of my mistakes, fortunately have, uh, been big enough to, to really, um, you know, put me under it all. So I guess one big mistake would be, uh, on my first deal, I didn't capitalize it well enough. We didn't raise enough money. Um, fortunately the market was really good. We were able to get out of that deal and still get a good return to our investors. But, um, you certainly want to make sure that you're raising enough money, uh, because really you're, you're not going to go back to your investors and ask for more. And that's not something you ever want to do. So mm-hmm. I think that another thing is choose your partners wisely. Um, you know, it's a, a partnership is almost like a marriage. I would say you have to be very, very aligned. Um, I've had some, some great partnerships and I've had some bad partnerships. Uh, and, and a lot of times bad partnerships um, failed either because they weren't necessarily aligned um, and that could be with our business plan, along with uh, ethically and morally. Um, integrity is one of the most important things to me in my business. And I think that's one of the most important things for everybody. If you want to have uh, any sort of longevity in your business is integrity. And um, I've had partners before where we just weren't aligned on that one factor. And that's, that's a non-negotiable for me. So um, I think everyone should, should also treat it the same way. Integrity should always be a non-negotiable. If you're working with somebody that plays in the gray area and doesn't, doesn't you know, follow the rules and play by the book. Uh, it's probably not someone that you should be investing or partnering with. Yeah. Great advice. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm having a blast. I mean, we go to a lot of these events around the country and I get to meet so many cool people, uh, be on podcasts with you guys. So I just want to continue to grow, um, grow my brand. Uh, I want to, uh, try and inspire a lot of people. Um, you know, I've, I've worked really hard and been able to accomplish uh, uh, quite a bit at a young age. And I think what that shows is if I can do it, anybody else can do it. So I, I love helping people out and however I can, uh, you know, provide value to others through, you know, this, whether it's this podcast or uh, we have some Facebook groups that we work in as well. Um, you know, I just, I like helping people out and then I want to stay focused on my next goals in terms of uh, buying 2000 units by the end of 2019. That's my, that's my immediate goal. 
That's awesome. And yeah. finally, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, you guys can um, check me out on Facebook. Just look up David Tupin. Last name is T-O-U-P-I-N. Or you can uh, look at my website. That's obsidiancapitalco.com. I don't know if you want me to spell that out. That'll probably be in, in the show notes. It will be in the show notes. Yeah, we'll have it in there. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Wow, well, so many accomplishments thus far at such a young age. So thank you for sharing your thoughts and experience with us and giving us your professional advice on how you found it successful um, through your syndication model. So thank you. Um, so many great takeaways that both our active and passive listeners can take away from this, from this interview. So very, very much. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. Thank you guys so much for having me on and um, hope to be back soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Thanks David. Thank yep. you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the passive income through multifamily real estate podcast and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.